This week on Geek Explained, in the first episode of 2023, we're taking a look back at the past year with our annual Geek Explained Year in Review for 2022. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is the first episode of 2023, which means happy. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. And uh, first off, thank you so much for listening through December. It's our first in-December event. A, I think it's going to be safe to say annual tradition going forward. I had a ton of fun talking with some amazing guests about creator-owned comics. And it was just a wonderful way to finish off 2022. In 2023, we're going big time! I got some big plans. I'm very excited to share them with you across both this and the Geek Explained book club. So stay tuned for all of the announcements on that that'll be coming throughout the year. But this episode is focusing on the year that was. It's our annual Geek Explained year in review where I talk about my favorite video games, TV shows, films, and of course, comic books and of course speaking of comic books we have this week's comics countdown where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week so make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that but without further ado let's go ahead and dive right into the main event the main course the entree if you will as i look back at the year that was in our annual geek explained year in review for 2022 Now, let me just say right off the bat that 2022 was a crazy year uh, for a lot of reasons, but especially in our world of media. We've had so many films, TV shows, comic books, video games that it was very difficult to put this list together (laughs) Um, and much more difficult because for three of these four categories, I had to narrow them down to five. My top five of each category with an honorable mention, and um, I say three of the four categories because with comics, there were just too much good comics. So we are doing the top ten comics of the year for me, but for the rest of these, for film, TV, and video games, I'll be counting down my top five of each with an honorable mention in every single category. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into this. We're going to kick things off with video games, and I'm going to give an honorable mention to Sifu. Sifu gets the honorable mention this year, Purely because I haven't beaten it yet. <laughs> because Seifu's really hard. Um, I have never been a Dark Souls guy. I've never been, like, one of those gamers that 
loves getting the shit kicked out of me in a video game, but there is something very addictive about getting the shit kicked out of you in Sifu. I don't know what it is. I don't know what makes it different from any of the uh, FromSoft games to this. But I absolutely adored this game. I loved it from the moment it was announced. And uh, it's hard. And I get frustrated. And I still haven't beaten it because I am not very good at video games. But um, yeah, it is a wonderful, wonderful game. Definitely do recommend it. Especially if you are a fan of those Neversoft titles and you're looking for something that is a little off the beaten path, Sifu is wonderful. The whole game is centered around a classic revenge quest where you, as the protagonist, are going through and taking out the people who are responsible for the death of someone close to you. No spoilers! But it's it's a classic kung fu movie plot and in that they've put so much love for every single kind of martial art every single kind of uh, media ever covering that it's a wonderful wonderful game uh, definitely check it out if you can it was a little hard to get a hold of at first when it comes to like a physical copy because I enjoy physical copies but I was able to get the vengeance edition which is the, uh, the physical hard copy of the game and I've loved it ever since but it is just an honorable mention again because I haven't beaten it yet moving on to our top five video games of the year kicking things off with probably the most surprising out of the five for me number five is wwe 2k22 now i need to preface this because you all know how much of a huge fan i am for pro wrestling I was not expecting to put this on the list. I was not expecting this to show up on the list, especially not when there's Sifu right there. But hear me out. When WWE 2K20 came out, it was, and I think I'm using the kindest words I can, a dumpster fire. Glitchy as hell, almost unplayable. And it was just a testament to not taking the time to make a game as good as it could be, purely to rush it out for a yearly release. And due to that, WWE and 2K Games decided we're going to take a year off. There was no 2K21, because they decided to take the time and refine their formula to actually look at this game and say, hey, maybe we should make a good one. You know, it's been a little bit since we made a really good game. And... Here comes WWE 2K22. Now, this game was fantastic. It still is fantastic. Um, it, of course, brings together all the rosters of, w, of WWE Raw, WWE SmackDown, NXT, NXT UK. Rest in peace, NXT UK. And you get to play as them and smash your action figures together in a whole variety of match types. Uh, you also get a career mode, which is classic for 2K games, but the big selling point of WWE 2K22 was the My GM mode. This had been requested for years. They had been holding off putting this into, video, into their video games for whatever reason, and I could not tell you what that reason was because when they decided to finally put it in 
critical acclaim. It's never going to be one of those like, oh, this is the best game of the year. But for fun factor, for being able to build out your own roster, uh, put it up against the roster of your rival, to build out shows, this is some of the most fun I've had playing video games this entire year. Uh, especially when you get to uh, play with a friend and you get to construct, you get to do your whole draft, you get to construct your own rosters, and then you get to you know, pit them against each other. It's a ton of fun, and if the WWE games going forward uh, are anything like this, I think we're going to be in good hands. So that is my number five for video games. Number four, we have Gotham Knights. Now, this game got a lot of shit from a lot of people, and depending on your perspective, rightfully so. For me, this game was nearly everything I wanted it to be. Uh, a lot of people, I think, had this expectation that Gotham Knights was going to be another Arkham game. And maybe it's just because I didn't come in with that expectation, but I had a ton of fun with this game. Uh, just like 2K22, playing this game with a friend 100% ups the playability and the fun factor, but even playing by yourself, it's a great time. You get to play as four different characters, Nightwing, Red Hood, Batgirl, and Robin. And you get to try and save the city from the Court of Owls and the League of Assassins. The plot is, you know, not, maybe not the most unpredictable or, you know, uh, original plot uh there's a lot of twists and turns that you can kind of see coming a mile away but sometimes that's okay and sometimes getting to that point is what it's all about sometimes it's about the journey not the destination and the journey with this game is a lot of fun you get to go out on patrols you get to play as all four characters uh depending on who you want to play as and you get to kind of tailor your style towards whichever character you want the customization is really fun though i wish they had more comic book skins uh they also recently uh released a four-player co-op which is a ton of fun um and they also have what I thought was the coolest thing was two-player co-op for the missions and the story missions. And there's a really cool touch at the end of the game. I don't think this is a spoiler. Um, th there's a really cool touch while the credits are rolling. It'll show you, uh, you know, little tableaus of you playing through the story missions. And if you were playing it with someone it will show both of your characters in those scenes. It's really cool. It's a really awesome touch. And I think overall, I would be down for Gotham Knights 2, bringing in more characters or else they just want to, you know, do DLC and update it. You know, I would love to introduce Cass and Stephanie and Duke. And I mean, hell, give us the uh, Jace Fox Batman. Like, I think the, the potential for the Gotham Knights franchise as a whole is uh, Sky High. And I overall really enjoyed the game. I had a ton of fun with it, and I think that there's a lot of fun to be had with it if you don't come in expecting it to be something that it's not. So that's my number four. At number three, we have Horizon Forbidden West. Now, I came into the Horizon hype way late. Way, 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 way late. I played uh, Horizon uh, Zero Dawn, for the first time, 
I think, at the end of 2021. It's either end of 2021 or early 2022. Uh, I was... I was looking for a game to play the game of the year edition or the complete edition uh was super super discounted and so i decided to play it and i fell in love with it just like everybody else did um so i ended up waiting and waiting and waiting until uh, i wanted to dive into horizon forbidden west because horizon zero dawn is a large time commitment uh especially if you want to really you know, get everything you want out of that game. I honestly was like, I'm not going to bother with like any of the exploration. It's too big. I'm not going to worry about that. And of course I ended up diving into it and completing it hundred percent. But cause I am who I am, but that game got me really excited about the future of the, uh, of the franchise. And when horizon forbidden West two came out, I want, I wanted to take the time. I wanted to wait because I knew that they would introduce stuff. I knew there'd be DLC, even though they said there wasn't going to be any DLC. And I was like, I'm going to wait until there's, you know, another complete edition. And then I saw a movie that I'm going to talk about later that really got me wanting to revisit uh, Horizon Forbidden West and specifically get back in the uh, futuristic post-apocalyptic moccasins of Aloy. And I had to play this game. It's huge. Like, it makes Horizon Zero Dawn look like Uncharted with its, like with how big it is the map for horizon forbidden west is enormous i sunk well over 100 hours into this without even meaning to and it's just there's so much there's so much it does fall uh, a couple notches down uh just because it's so big and there is something to be said about games getting maybe too big but i will say that i loved almost all of what I saw in Horizon Forbidden West. The amount of new gameplay, the amount of characters, the amount of story and lore, and you know I love me some lore. Uh, it's just incredible, and I really, really dig it. I cannot wait for the new DLC that's going to be coming out. Um, I can't remember what the name it is, but we're going to Hollywood! We're coming to my neck of the woods! So I am very excited to... Uh, continue playing this game and i'm excited to continue on aloy's story uh horizon forbidden west is absolutely worth your time if you are willing to spend the time at number two i think you know this had to be somewhere on the list because i am who i am it's final fantasy 7 crisis core reunion of course it was going to be on this list you had to know it was going to be on this list um, I just fucking love Zack Fair, man. He's my favorite Final Fantasy protagonist. He is just the best little himbo that you could ever want, and I adore this game. It had been at least 10 years since I'd played this game, and it turns out I don't remember a lot about this game because of, you know, what things were like back then, and I don't remember a lot of that, but... I just, I got to fall in love with this game all over again. The graphical updates is, of course, the biggest uh, change between the original release and the reunion release. Uh, but besides that, it's more or less the same exact game 
for better and for worse. Um, the dialogue is still really bad and cringy as hell. I kind of love it in a so bad it's good way. Um, the voice cast is the new uh, remake voice cast, which for the most part is good. But of course, uh, I miss the original voice for Zack. Uh, but maybe it's because I spent 20 plus hours with this new Zack. It started to grow on me near the end. Uh, I know that big things are coming for Zack in uh, Rebirth, and I am excited to continue on, hopefully seeing more of that. But for me, as a huge fan of Crisis Core, if you go back in the episode that I did my top five Final Fantasy games, Crisis Core was number five. And so you knew it had to be on this list somewhere. So uh, it's a wonderful game. I absolutely adore it. And if you're a fan of Final Fantasy, especially especially a fan of Final Fantasy VII, pick up Crisis Core Reunion. It is absolutely worth your time. But the game of the year for me, for the Geeksplain podcast of 2022, is God of War Ragnarok. What? can I say about this game that has not already been said? It is, in one word, a masterpiece. The the game that was released in 2018, critical acclaim, um, changed the franchise, changed the character of Kratos, brought him into Norse mythology, put him up against Norse gods, well, maybe just one Norse god, but... I fell in love with that game. I've always been a sucker for Norse mythology, and seeing that uh, embraced and all the while really kind of centered around the story of father and son was amazing to me. That game still has a near and dear place to my heart just for the story and the characters alone. They had big shoes to fill for God of War Ragnarok. This was the sequel. This was following up on everything that God of War 2018 had established. And I cannot express to you how much God of War Ragnarok makes God of War 2018 feel like a proof of concept. God of War Ragnarok takes everything that God of War 2018 did right and ups the ante about 12 notches. It was astounding to get into this game, to be re-immersed in this world right from the get-go and know that shit's going down. Shit is going down across all nine realms, and in this game, you get to visit all nine of them as the growing war against Asgard and the Norse gods kicks off. Uh, Ragnarok is absolutely a masterpiece. I loved every single minute of playing this game. It's a toss-up for me story-wise, whether I love the first game or this game more, Um, but time will tell. Time will tell. What I know right from the immediate after you know playing it and loving it platinuming it the whole deal is that the characters are solid the gameplay is next level everything you loved about 2018 they added upon they even added a new weapon that even though i did not love whatsoever when i first started using it it came to be my main weapon for the entire end game uh section um you get to witness this story about a father and son who have now 
made that journey in the first game and are now beginning to grow apart. They have come together and now they're growing apart once again. And you get to see how that happens. You get to see how Kratos deals with Atreus growing up and becoming his own person. And the fact that both of them have such a hard time dealing with that. Freya comes back and she is still a little bit bitter that you killed her son in the first game. And all the while, we get to meet Thor. We get to meet Odin. We get to meet the rest of the Norse pantheon. And it is a treat. I absolutely adored this game. From start to finish, every bit was incredible. Uh, we also get to meet uh, some characters that we had only heard about in the first game. And I love them so much. And... It's got twists, it's got turns, it's got just this incredible feeling of finality as well, which I wasn't expecting. I figured, you know, God of War Ragnarok, every game is shooting for the trilogy treatment at this point. But as we go further into this, like, I don't know if this needs another game. And that's crazy to me. Finishing... Ragnarok, rolling the credits on that, I can see potential for a third game. I can see potential for the future of this uh, future of this story, these characters, but I don't need it. There's there's there is a solid amount of finality in this game. Again, no spoilers, but I of course will show up every single launch day for another God of War game. But if we don't ever get another one, I think that's okay and that again it sounds crazy but it is a wonderful game it is a masterpiece on every single level and it is my video game of the year so now we mosey on over to the realm of tv with my top five tv shows of the year honorable mention goes to cyberpunk edge runners I cannot express to you how much I want to play Cyberpunk 2077 because I had no interest in this game. I got the, I think it was the deluxe edition for Christmas last year, the year before, something like that. It's still sealed. It's still unopened because when that game released, it was buggy as hell, unplayable, borderline. And I told myself, I am going to wait until it is worth playing. And boy, oh boy, after playing or after watching Cyberpunk Edge Runners, do I want to play Cyberpunk. Uh, this show, uh, this anime on Netflix is incredible. The voice cast is phenomenal. And it dive straight into the world. If you've never played the cyberpunk game, if you aren't familiar with that world, this does a great job introducing you to that world. Um, it is by, I can't remember, is it Studio Mappa? That's not, that's not right. But either way, it is done by a very well-known uh, anime studio, and they are firing on all cylinders for this it tells the story of david who is living shitty life <laughs> in the city and where his story goes i don't want to spoil it because it is worth checking out this is the this is the arcade of 2022 and um 
I mean, so far for video game adaptations of the TV, uh, Netflix is two for two. They're doing great work over there. Um, it's a wonderful time. It is incredibly gory, incredibly bloody. I would not watch this with your children, but it is a fantastic anime, a wonderful show, and it absolutely deserves an honorable mention. Getting into the top five, at number five, we have She-Hulk. Now I know people are not going to agree with me on this, and I will, uh, I probably should have said this at the top, I have not watched, played, or read everything there is to experience this year. So if there are things that I'm leaving off, if there are things that you think should be on this list, let me know. Feel free. Uh, I will be playing catch-up. There's only so many hours in the day. But for what it was, I loved She-Hulk. It was probably the most comic booky of the Disney Plus Marvel shows so far. I absolutely adore Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk. She does such a great job as Jennifer Walters, both in and out of her Hulk form. Uh, the show is just fun, and we haven't had that in a really long time when it comes to, you know, Disney Marvel properties. Everything does, of course, need to be balanced, but there is something to be said about just having a half hour comedy every single week it's a sitcom for god's sake and it's so fun the way that it breaks the fourth wall in ways that deadpool could only dream of uh it's true to the character it is true to the spirit of her comics and we also got daredevil back in the show as well which i will be immensely eternally grateful for especially because he's wearing my favorite yellow and red that's right i'm a yellow and red boy uh you can fight me forever i will never change my mind but their chemistry of uh, tatiana maslany and charlie cox was off the fucking charts uh would absolutely recommend if you just like want to have a good if you didn't vibe with it look i get it it's fine not everything is for everybody, and I think that's the biggest takeaway of 2022, just in general, across all media. If it's not for you, that's okay. Not everything is meant for everybody. But I absolutely adored She-Hulk for what it was, and I'm hoping we get more She-Hulk in the future. At number four, we have The Boys. Now, The Boys and She-Hulk could not be further from each other. Um, the Boys was phenomenal this year. Um, season three came out swinging, introducing Jensen Ackles as Soldier Boy, possibly one of my favorite characters in the entire show, even though he is the worst. Uh, it's just... It's incredible. What they are managing to do is to tell a story that far and away surpasses the source material. It's not even close. Like, the comic is just... It's bad! It's a bad comic! And what the show has done is taken the premise, the characters, and some of the plot beats from the comic and just made them actual story made an actual narrative arc, made actual characters we cared about, just made an actually good property, an IP. The boys absolutely can stand alone. The comic can be Elseworlds, as far as I'm concerned, because this is my canon for the boys. Um, the cast is stellar. They always have been throughout the first two seasons, but I feel like they really kicked it up a notch in season three. Everything felt just heightened. The stakes were heightened. The performances were heightened. The 
effects and the budget felt heightened as well and i cannot wait to see where they go for season four um it's it's crazy it is absolutely mind-blowing that a show like this exists and that it is doing so well for what it is uh i love the boys it is so good and i can't wait for more at number three we have peacemaker now peacemaker surprised the hell out of me do you really wanna do you really want to taste it asked the intro of every single episode and i answered yes john cena has never been a phenomenal actor let's just say it let's just be honest there are very few uh pro wrestlers turned actors who are good i think dave batista is a phenomenal actor i think he's fantastic and he will be getting a shout out a little bit later here um but john cena it always kind of ranked for me like batista rock cena were kind of my top three wrestler turned actor and after this after peacemaker after the suicide squad from last year cena's right at number two and he is hot on Batista's heels like they were back in uh, WWE in the late 2000s. Um, Cena is fantastic in this. John Cena as Peacemaker is incredible. But it's not just him that makes this show work. The entire cast is phenomenal. You want to get a sense of the kind of commitment that James Gunn will have when it comes to DC and how he's going to approach it. You watch Peacemaker, and not just because, oh, it's got the silly jokes, and it's got the profanity, and it's got the adult themes. It's heart. This show has so much heart, and everything is so sincere to the point of parody that I think James Gunn's going to be just... He's, he's the guy. He's the guy they need right now. Someone who sincerely cares about these characters in this world, and this universe, and will give you what you as a comic fan need while maybe it not being initially what you think you want and i think that wraps up peacemaker with a really nice bow um the show is incredible uh the cast is hilarious uh filled with uh james gunn stalwarts and also some new faces as well it's just a wonderful wonderful show and i cannot wait for season two if in fact the big old reboot does include peacemaker which i mean it probably does. Season 2 might be the end of it, but, I mean, what a ride. If Season 2 is anything like Season 1, we're going to be in for some really freaking good TV, whatever that does come out. And number 2 is a show that I don't think many people know about. Uh, it is a spinoff of a popular Canadian show that started on the Crave Network and made its way over to Hulu, and is now, I think... Just as good, if not better, than the original show that it spun off of. At number two, I have Shorzy. Now, if you are not familiar with Letterkenny, it's a show about nothing. It is the it is this generation Seinfeld, uh, taking place in the small Canadian town of Letterkenny. Uh, the show is about Wayne uh, and his Hicks. The skids the hockey players everybody that make up the town and uh it just tells you their problems every single episode shorzy takes the most probably one of if not the most popular character from letter kenny and gives him his own show as he's shipped off to the northern 
town city ship of Sudbury and is tasked with taking a completely dog shit hockey team and making sure they never lose again. Shorzy was a vision for me. I've always loved Letterkenny, but Shorzy was another level. Giving a face, not not just a face, but an actual character to this very one-note gag character from Letterkenny. And making you give a shit about him is just a masterstroke. Uh, Jared Kiso, who plays Shorzy as well as Wayne in Letterkenny, and is also kind of the, the brain child of this whole or i don't know if that's the proper term he's the mastermind behind letter kenny and shorzy he has something he's got something special when it comes to storytelling when it comes to narrative crafting um he's incredible and the show itself doesn't use hardly any characters from letter kenny there's only one character who pops up every now and then um across the first season and Otherwise, it's all new characters, you are introduced to the setting, and you give a shit about these characters. By the end of this, it's it was a... Very quickly, I had this penciled in as my show of the year for much of this year. Uh, it was crazy. I, I absolutely adore this show. The, the talent that a good needle drop has in bringing emotion and genuine tears out of me... If you are able to do that, you have my, I will follow you to the depths of hell. And there are more than a few needle drops across the entire season that I just, it was for me. It was purely made for me. And I love it so freaking much. But one show did just eke out Shorzy and it came later in the year than I was expecting my top TV show of 2022 is Andor. I, to the freaking love Rogue One. Rogue One, even for its faults, is still a top three Star Wars movie for me. And when I heard that they were doing a spinoff of the Cassian Andor character and that it was going to be a prequel leading into the events of Rogue One, I was... Nervous. <laughs> um, the Disney Plus shows have not had the greatest track record, um, but I, I absolutely adored Andor from the jump. And every single week, Andor continued to impress. It continued to get better and better and better. And I just, there was, it was clear cut, the show of the year. Taking this character, we know where his endpoint is. As, like I said earlier, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey and the journey that Cassian goes on. Alongside the rest of the incredible cast of this show is amazing. Andy Serkis finally gets his flowers for an on-screen character in the Star Wars universe. And he is one of the best characters of the entire show. Uh, this has a prison break, this has wartime, this has heist, this has every genre that speaks to me is in this show. So of course it had to be my number one. Uh, season two is coming, I believe, next year. And it is, I mean, it's going to be show of the year if it's as good as this one too. So like, 
I absolutely adored every single episode of this. It was a triumph in every sense of the word. Taking this world and making it feel, and I know this sounds dumb, but it making it feel like Star Wars again. Like, Star Wars has recently become, and I guess, you know, in a way it's always been, you know, the story about sorcery and, you know, space magic and lightsabers. But this show takes what was magical about that universe, that there are so many stories to tell in a galaxy far, far away, and lays them bare for you to enjoy. It's it's my show of the year. Bar none, it is absolutely incredible. So those are my TV shows. Heading over to films. Films was probably one of the hardest lists to align, right? I knew what was going to be on the list, but ranking it was incredibly difficult. My honorable mention goes to Black Panther Wakanda Forever. This this freaking thing had a lot of hype behind it. And for the most part, I think it succeeded in what it set out to do. Uh, If you want my full thoughts on the film, I actually covered it during our Phase 4 ranking uh, back in November with uh, Troy from the TroyoBoyo17 YouTube channel, where we ranked the entire Phase 4, and we got pretty uh pretty deep into the Wakanda Forever talk. It is still with some distance a wonderful film and a loving tribute to Chadwick Boseman. It also takes the time to get you incredibly invested in Namor, uh played by Tenoch Huerta, who is just a powerhouse in this film. But the big powerhouse of the film is Angela Bassett, who absolutely devours the entire film. She is a force of nature, and I am kind of sad that she will not be a storm in the MCU because she deserves all of the flowers that she is getting for her performance. I think she got a Golden Globe nom, which I think is amazing. And well, well deserved. So Wakanda Forever is my honorable mention. It was tough to not put it in the top five, but these other five films just captured my imagination. They were incredible. So at number five, I have Prey. Now, I mentioned earlier I watched a film that that necessitated me getting Horizon Forbidden West. This was that film. Watching Prey, having Amber Mid-Thunder... The Amber Mid-Thunder Sweep that has taken over my life and everyone else's lives in 2022 is real. And seeing a seeing a Native American woman go one-on-one with a predator. I just it's so cool. It's so cool. Amber Mid-Thunder is incredible in this film. Um I I've never been like the biggest predator fan i've always appreciated it and i think that it's it might be one of my you know one of my favorite sci-fi franchises but i mean it had been a real long time since we got a good predator film (laughs) uh so this one reset the franchise this one set us back to the hype that has that was around the first two films it was a revelation and i hope that Big things continue to come for both the Predator franchise and especially for Amber Mid-Thunder because she's wonderful. At number four, we have The Glass Onion. 
I, to the freaking love Knives Out. I think it is an absolute triumph in filmmaking. Ryan Johnson will have my theater viewership forever. And when I heard that Glass Onion was going to be released on Netflix and getting only a limited release in theaters, I was a little sad. And I think we've seen now, with the amount of hype and the amount of positive reception that The Glass Onion received, it should have been in theaters. Netflix can own everything, but they need to release it in theaters. And if they, you know, the next one, because you know there's going to be a next one, should be released wider, personally. I was, unfortunately, because I missed the time to see it in theaters, only able to see it at home. But god Damn, is it a good film. I freaking love Glass Onion. I, you know how much I love murder mysteries. And this takes everything we loved about Knives Out and continues to build upon it. Uh, Cast members that I want to shout out, obviously, obviously the man himself, Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, is continuing to be one of my favorite uh, film characters of the 21st century. It is an absolute crime that he does not get to play more like this. Like in Knives Out, Glass Onion, Logan Lucky, he's incredible. Uh, His gift for a just god-awful Foghorn Leghorn Southern accent is something that should be studied in the Louvre. It is something that people should look at for inspiration. He's incredible in this film. He continues to be incredible. Um, We also have wonderful, wonderful uh, performances by literally the entire cast, but a couple that I do want to shout out. Dave Bautista. Dave Bautista is incredible in this. He is just everyone's incel YouTuber, live streamer, guy you really hate, far-right nut job um and he's fantastic in it janelle monet is my mvp of the film she is incredible we need janelle monet and we need janelle monet and more things we just do and she is amazing in this she is just incredible uh jessica henwick doesn't get as much uh, to do as I would have liked, but she's amazing. Edward Norton, basically playing Elon Musk, uh, is incredible in this, and he's terrible, and everyone hates him, and they should, but Edward Norton is great. Uh, the entire cast is just absolutely tremendous, and I can't heap enough praise onto this film. Go out of your way to see it. Uh, it is absolutely a masterclass in storytelling, in taking a murder mystery concept and elevating it it is just it's incredible absolutely freaking loved it at number three is the movie that i saw the most recently and if you pay attention to my social media you know when i'm recording this because i just watched top gun maverick number three is top gun maverick and i this was not on the list initially um because i hadn't watched it But I decided I wanted to watch it because everyone had been heaping so much praise onto it throughout the year. I didn't get the chance to see it in theaters. And I watched it and I have never had more FOMO about not seeing a movie in theaters than I've had watching Top Gun Maverick. (laughs) This film rules, man! It's so good! Uh, I, you know, the first Top Gun is 
a fine movie. Ever, I think it's a little overhyped. Um, the first half of the movie is very slow, but it is still a classic for a reason. And when I heard that they were going to be doing a spinoff, my initial reaction was, okay, yeah, I guess. But by the end of this, I was, I mean... Holy shit, I have been hyped. You might te- you you might be able to tell that I got a lot of energy. And it's because I just finished watching this before recording this podcast. Um it's incredible. I love this movie. It is I know this is dumb, and I know people have said this, and it sounds dumb every single time I read it or I hear it, and it sounds dumb saying it. But this feels like a movie. This feels like it feels it gives you the feeling of watching a movie when you were a kid. And I know that that sounds dumb, um but I remember watching movies in the theaters in the 90s and even in the early 2000s when going to a movie felt like a spectacle. And this feels like a spectacle. I was hoot I was hooping and hollering all through this movie in my living room. I'm glad I was watching it alone because I would have been freaking embarrassing uh, just to sit through this with. But I, I love this. Tom Cruise still got it as probably our last big American movie star. Uh, he, he still got it. He's still got it. Uh, Top Gun Maverick does everything that the first Top Gun did better. Uh, the cast is stacked. I really, really appreciated every single person throughout this. It has John Hamm, one of my favorite actors. It's so good. And the film does a great job in telling that, you know, old dog, new trick kind of story. And in this story, the trick is teaching. He has to teach these, you know, these world-class pilots how to accomplish a mission. And it's re- it's just, it's amazing. Go out of your way to watch it. If you have a Paramount Plus uh, account, you can watch it for free. If you uh, have Amazon Prime, you can add Paramount Plus to your Amazon account, and you can watch it for free. This isn't, like, sponsored or anything. But, like, that's how I watched it, and it's it. go out of your way. If you haven't seen it, watch it. If you've already watched it, watch it again, because I will be watching this again for sure. No contest. Uh, so that's at number three for me. I adore this film. At number two, you knew it had to be on here somewhere. It's The Batman. The Batman feels like five years ago (laughs) that's how long this year has been um but this came out in march we did our whole bat march uh event to not only celebrate uh 200 episodes of the podcast not only celebrate our four-year anniversary but also because the batman was coming out and so getting to watch this film and believe in batman again what 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 more is there to say about it, right? I adore this film. It is it is so locked in to who Batman is and what Batman is and what Batman represents um that I just I I love it, man. I I I love it. I've I haven't felt connected this connected to a portrayal of Batman in live action since Batman Begins. And it's just, it's so good. Robert Pattinson is wonderful in this film. The choice to essentially make his Batman in the, at least through most of this film, essentially a Terminator is, 
a inspired choice. Uh, but taking his character and making it a story about personal growth, about learning to learning to represent something rather than uh, learning to make people fear something. It's it's what we get into this genre. It's what we get into comic books looking for. We're looking to be inspired, not to fear. And the journey that he goes across throughout the film is wonderful. This also kicked off Andy Serkis's uh, year of just incredible uh, on-screen notoriety because he was a wonderful Alfred. I hope we get more of him in Batman 2. Um, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. What else can I say about Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman? Give her an HBO series. Do it. Six episodes. Put her in Rome. Do it. Just do it. Um, the rest of the cast is stacked. Uh, fucking Jeffrey Wright is James Gordon. Come on, man. Like, I love him so much. It's so good. We have uh, Colin Farrell as the Penguin, of course. Um, j- just the the Gabagool penguin that I never thought I would ever hear. Just this is the penguin I now hear in the comics, and it's unfortunate, but uh, it's incredible. Paul Dano's Riddler I realize is not for everyone, but I think this version of the Riddler works really well for the story and the world that they've established. What they did was give us a standalone hard reset of the Batman franchise when it comes to film, and I cannot wait to play more in this world. We know a sequel is coming. We know there might be a trilogy. Uh, Matt Reeves, who directed this, is working on another level. And if if James Gunn... And all of his uh, all of his wisdom says, let's let Matt cook. I think we're going to be in for a long, prosperous period of Batman films. So that is at my number two. At number one, my film of the year. You might have guessed it already. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. I don't think I can properly put into words the emotions that this film brought out in me as an Asian American, as someone who has felt disconnected from his parents, as someone who has um, really been stuck in, you know, so many instances of wondering what was, what is, and what could be. Um, This, ah, man, I'm, I'm getting choked up just just thinking about it. Uh, this movie was it's it's a triumph. I know I've said that you know a couple times on this uh, on this episode before, but this movie came in with I don't think a lot of high expectations. Oh, it's another weird multiverse movie in a year of weird multiverse movies. But this film did something for me that none of the other films did, and that was made me feel incredibly seen. Um, I know that that phrase gets taken for granted and used all the time, but I've never felt more seen than watching everything everywhere all at once. Um, Michelle Yeoh is dynamite. There is nothing more that I can say 
about that that truly conveys how good she is in this film she is an absolute marvel a treasure and she needs to be in more things jamie lee curtis is also fantastic in this as well um she gets a couple scenes that i just could not believe she was doing um kiwi kwan um the comeback of the century we'll say uh he is an absolute marvel in this film he is incredible um he his portrayal and his his several portrayals of different versions of his character um it's 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 a vision absolutely adored his character uh his chemistry with Michelle Yeoh is off the charts and the third point of that trifecta is Stephanie Sue um she's just she's so good she's so good at things she's so good at acting she's so good at just doing stuff um this trio is a is a trifecta of talent and creativity that needs to be nurtured and needs to be in more things. Um, I know that I know it didn't get a lot of like hype going into the film, but once it came out, um, people were saying that this is best motion picture worthy and it is and i hope it wins i don't know if it will just because the academy is the academy but it deserves to win 100 percent um i I'm, I'm having a hard time you know uh properly conveying how much this film meant to me but it is an absolute masterpiece in filmmaking and it deserves all of the accolades and all of the praise that it's getting, and so does its cast. It is, without a doubt, my film of the year. Which brings us, of course, to my top 10 comics of the year. Now, like I said, this year was just filled with too much good comics. And so I had to bump this up from a top 5 to a top 10, and... Due to that, I have two honorable mentions that I want to put out before we get into the top 10 list. Uh, two honorable mentions. First off, Daredevil. Daredevil relaunched this year and has been absolutely incredible. The story of Matt and Elektra building up the fist to combat the growing threat of the hand and their leader the punisher uh is just incredible uh it's been a wonderful story so far and i can't wait to see where it goes and also the amazing spider-man uh the new direction that the series has taken uh by zeb wells has been amazing uh i i didn't even mean to do that uh but it's it's been really just really good um getting that initial mystery of what did peter do what happened why is the status quo the way it is uh is apparently supposed to be answered next month as of this recording so we'll see but i've loved it pulling different aspects from throughout the history of spider-man the first arc being just about tombstone was amazing and i freaking love spidey versus the mob you know how much i love spidey versus the mob we also got stories of him and hobgoblin which of course you know i love and right now they're doing dark web which is great involves my boy ben riley so you know i'm 
absolutely going to show up for that. Uh, there have been a couple weird tie-ins that I didn't love, so that's probably why it lands on the uh, honorable mentions list, but incredible stuff. And among all of the comics that came out this year, honorable mention is uh, is pretty high praise for me personally. But let's get into this top 10 list. At number 10, we have The Good Asian. I did an entire episode on this last week. So if you want my full thoughts on The Good Asian, go back and check out last week's episode, the finale of our first in December. Uh, it's wonderful. We got to speak with uh, Pornstock Pachetcho, the writer of the series, and it's just a, just a really fun, wonderful conversation with him. Had a wonderful time with him. He's amazing. Uh, but yeah, The Good Asian is incredible. Absolutely one of the best comics of the year. At number nine, we have Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. I really wanted to put this higher up on the list, but the fact that there was only two issues of it that actually came out in 2022 with the rest of them coming out in 2021, I had to I had to pump the brakes on it. It still showed up, obviously, because it's so freaking strong. And also the trade came out this year and it's so good. Uh, but I, I love this. Mixing Supergirl with True Grit meets a little bit of John Wick. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's so good. The comic rules has one of you know one of the biggest uh emotional impacts for me was issue five i believe uh out of that whole series it's i mean what can i say it's incredible it is a wonderful story tom king and bilkis evely are amazing and they deserve all of the praise they deserve to be teamed up for more things so if you're listening i know you listen to this heads of dc and marvel put them on things especially dc because you know they're they're their DC team. Uh, number eight, we have, and I'm cheating a little bit here, Captain America, both Sentinel of Liberty and Symbol of Truth. The Captain America um, brand, we'll say, the Captain America line has been incredibly strong. They rebooted this year, starting off with Captain America number zero, and they both launched Sentinel of Liberty, which is the Steve Rogers title, and Symbol of Truth, which is the Sam Wilson title. Now, the Sentinel of Liberty title basically turns the uh the shield of captain america and the story into national treasure slash da vinci code and symbol of truth is much more about sam wilson in a global aspect of being captain america and they both are so good the creative teams for these books are amazing they are so there it feels reinvigorated like i really enjoyed uh the coats captain america but this feels closer to what i really like about cap books both of them um they've been incredibly strong all through last year and we've got a really exciting event coming up this year cold war can't wait it's gonna be amazing uh very excited about captain america i think this is the strongest that captain america has been in comics in a while and i really do think it's a book that people need to read at number seven we have nightwing you know how much I love this book. Uh, Nightwing has been incredible from the inception of the Taylor and Redondo era. And they just closed out the big blockbuster uh, arc 
And now we are gearing up for the next stage of Nightwing with Dick Grayson now being kind of the focal point of the DCU. Uh, We'll see if that ends up panning out, but I have absolute faith in them uh, as a creative team, and I have absolute faith in the character of Dick Grayson. So it's a wonderful book. I have such a great time with it, and you absolutely need to be reading this book. At number six, we have Exterminators. Now, Exterminators came and went like a thief in the night, but I loved every single second of it. It was such a fun time with just incredible characters. Like, you know that I am the biggest simp for Tabitha Boom Boom Smith, and having her in a book alongside Jubilee, Dazzler, and Wolverine, Laura Kinney, you knew this was going to be a book that I was into. But I did not expect this to be Buffy the Vampire Slayer Grindhouse X-Men. And it is absolutely amazing. It's fun. It's absolutely uh, rated M for Mature. But it's so cool. And it's so light. And at only four issues... It's an absolute delight of a read. You you definitely need to go out of your way to read this. It's so freaking good. At number five, we're in the top five comics. At number five, we have The Flash. What they have managed to do since they took over, you know, they had Wally take over the mantle is a hearkening back to an era of Flash comics that I adore. Uh, the Flash family, as it were, with Wally, Linda, Iris, or Irie and Jay, um, is how I was reading The Flash when I first got into comics. And what they managed to do to bring this back, make it a just a dynamic and really fun uh story about family about trust about growing together about bonds about the about finding your place in the speed force and the superhero world is just everything that you want out of a flash book the inclusion of the rogues we just wrapped up an arc where the rogues were deputized as essentially super cops and it was so fun um the mayor wolf era of uh the flash has been really interesting and now that relationship has turned a new page uh and we're getting ready for a big event just like in the captain america books with one minute war which i'm so excited about i really i can't express how stoked i am for this uh for this event and how impressed i've been with the flash for a while like i i will say that i've never been a barry allen guy However, the Rebirth era of the Flash comic was wonderful and did a great job in, for me, rehabilitating that character when it came to his comic portrayals. However, Wally's always going to be the best Flash. It's just, it's just the facts. It's the facts. You can argue with it, but you're wrong. Our, our neighbor's dog is a big Barry supporter, so I get it, but Wally's the best, period. Uh, but I've been loving this book. I think it's an, I think it's a treasure and I think it's what they're doing with it. Again, making it the family book that you've always wanted for the flash and maybe for Spider-Man, uh, is something that you aren't getting anywhere else in comics. And it's absolutely worth being on the top comics of the year list. And it's 
appeared on several of them. So I, I feel pretty confident in putting it on here. And number four, I'm cheating again. It's Immortal X-Men slash X-Men Red. The reason that I have them both in the same slot is because I think both of them, while telling separate stories, are heavily intertwined with each other. Um, what they have managed to do across both of these books, as well as Judgment Day, which is not on this list, uh, is continue the dominance of the X office over at Marvel Comics. There's a lot of trepidation coming into this era post-Hickman that it would lose some of the luster that it had when Hickman was at the helm. But with the team that they have assembled to take the X-Books into Destiny of X, Fall of X, wherever it goes next, uh, sky's the limit for what they can achieve and what they can accomplish. Uh, Mortal X-Men centering around the Quiet Council has been a delight. Bringing in Selene, making Mr. Sinister a main antagonist. Uh, it's, I mean, it's so good. It's fun. And then X-Men Red is so freaking good. Not least of all because my boy Gabriel Summers is getting the spotlight at last. I am one of the few Vulcan fans on this wide green earth. And I absolutely have been fed very well this year. Even though we had a little hiccup with Vulcan, but it's fine. We don't need to talk about it. I love... His inclusion, I love what they built up with Magneto. I love what they did with him. No spoilers. Uh, in Judgment Day. And I'm very excited to see where this book goes next. I cannot wait to pick up the next issue of it. At number three, we have Human Target. I I love Human Target. It's, it's so freaking good, man. Christopher Chance has never been a character that I've been super into. I remember, I think literally the first time I met that character was on Arrow. And um, he's never been a character that I have been especially inclined to go read his stories. But god damn, does Tom King know how to write him. I love murder mysteries. I mentioned it before with Glass Onion, and this is a 12-issue murder mystery where Christopher Chance has to, 12 days to figure out who killed him. And I... It's so good. Not least of which because the art in it is stellar. With this and Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, Tom King is working with some of the best artists in the game. Period. Bar none. Uh, it is just so gorgeous to read through um the artist stellar having the murder mystery centered around the members of the jli the jli of all people uh it's it's an inspired choice and it's just been such a pleasure reading every single issue uh they did take a pretty substantial break in between uh issue six and seven but we are rounding very quickly to the uh, final stretch here, and the book has been phenomenal, so I cannot wait to see how it all wraps up. At number two, it was very difficult to not put this at number one, but at number two, we have Batman Superman World's Finest. You all know that I'm a basic bitch for Mark Wade, and also, I will follow Dan Mora to the ends of the earth. This book is everything you want in a comic book. If you are a fan of comic books, if you are a fan of superheroes, World's Finest is a perfect book. 
drawing upon all of the influences of the Silver Age, stuff that Mark Wade has always loved. This story has been phenomenal from from the first page of the first issue. In the most recent issue, we got the big reveal of who uh, Boy Thunder is, and I was not expecting it, and I jumped out of my chair at the reveal, but I... I think this book is one that's going to be sticking around for a long time. I'm hoping so, at least, because Mark Waid is going to be doing Lazarus Planet and uh, jumping on to the Shazam book. I don't know what the future of this book holds, but I really, I, I love it for the ride that we're on. And it absolutely was almost my book of the year. However, you know what my book of the year is. You know what for me is the best comic book of 2022. It's Do a Powerbomb. Again, we did an entire episode on this. I, alongside uh, returning, I, I would say at this point recurring, special guest Matt Draper, we sat down the day that that final issue released and gushed about this comic. So go back a couple weeks to that episode. So good. This comic has everything. Pro wrestling? Check. A tournament arc? Check. Heartfelt character moments? Check. Badass art? Check. Incredible fight choreography? Check. And a final issue that literally brought me to tears? Big. Fat. Check. I love and adore this book, and this is one of my favorite books of all time. This is easily a top five comic of all time for me. And I I have utmost faith. You can always trust in Daniel Warren Johnson to give you stories that are fun, dynamic, and heartfelt. And this is absolutely the perfect example of that. His mastery of this alongside his fandom of pro wrestling that was built off of watching it and discovering it for the first time with his newborn daughter it it gives you everything it literally gives you everything this is one of what you can tell that this is one of the most personal pieces of art that he's ever made and it shows in every single page of every single issue. Uh, it's an absolute masterpiece, and it is my comic of the year. So that is it. That is our annual year in review for 2022. 2022 was a huge year. I already said it for all of media, for films, for comics, for TV shows, for video games, and I cannot wait to see what 2023 has in store. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of January 4th, 2023, the first Comics Countdown of the year. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But first, before we get into that, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeks playing Pick of the Week of last week. And this one was tough. I was uh it was a toss-up between a couple books but ultimately i did choose action comics number 10 
50. Uh, this was a big old book with a lot going on, and it got me incredibly hyped for this new era of Superman. They made a very big change that I am actually kind of a fan of, to be honest, and I cannot wait to see where Superman goes next. But that's last week's books. This week we've got one, two, three, four, Five, six, seven, eight, nine books for you to check out this week. So let's go ahead and dive into these books. First up, we have Fantastic Four, number three. This is written by Ryan North with art by Iban Coelho. And I'm going to be honest, folks, I still have no idea what's happening. I still have no idea what's going on with Fantastic Four, but I am very interested. I am very interested in the mystery box aspect of it. We don't know quite what's going on, but hopefully we'll get more pieces to the puzzle here. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. A shoptastic day. The Human Torch is alone in New York, trying to survive in a city that hates and fears, well, mostly him specifically. There's just one thing for Johnny to do. Adopt an all-new secret identity and take an all-new job nobody else wants. But when things at work heat up, Johnny discovers that while you can't forget the past, that doesn't mean it'll stay buried, and has to decide if there are certain things that the Human Torch can't let himself do. Also, in this issue, Johnny Storm fights a tornado! Um, that pretty much tells you right off the bat what's going on, and the cover does the same thing. So all that's left to do really is read it and find out what the hell's going to happen. Next up, we have Spider-Man number four. This is written by Dan Slott with art by Mark Bagley. Uh, I have no idea what this book is. <laughs> I have no idea what the... Uh, what the plan is for this book, what their, what the goal is, I guess. I know it's supposed to be end of the Spider-Verse, but they made a big old choice with a big old cliffhanger last issue, and I don't know how they're going to come back from it. So let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis. End of the Spider-Verse Part 4, The Unraveling. The end of the Spider-Verse rages on. Yes, that really happened last issue. The tremors will be felt until it all ends. That's truly all we can say until you read number three. So this is where, you know, the synopses uh, coming out prior to the book really does kind of hurt it. Um, because this is all about, oh my god, issue three, holy shit. But... It doesn't really tell you what's going to happen in issue four, which is fine. I'm excited to see what they do here. But again, um, I don't know what the plan is, so I'm excited to find out. Next up, we have a brand new number one. This is Scarlet Witch number one. This is written by Steve Orlando with art by Sarah Pacelli. Uh, you know how much praise and love we've been giving to Sarah Pacelli on the Geek Explained book club. And I am so excited to read this book the scarlet witch it has been a long time since we've had a scarlet witch solo and i'm so excited to pick this up let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis the scarlet witch returns there is a door that appears only to those who need it most who have no one else in the world to turn to on the other side of the store is the witchcraft shop friend or foe human or otherwise if your need is great and your hope is gone there you will meet the scarlet witch. 
Wanda Maximoff is familiar with hitting rock bottom, and now that she's finally found peace, she's pledged to she's pledged all her power to help others who are languishing at their lowest. But when a woman falls through Wanda's door with a terrifying story of a town gone mad, the Scarlet Witch will have to muster her wits and chaos magic to deal with an insidious threat. Comic powerhouses Steve Orlando and Sarah Pacelli join forces to open a groundbreaking new chapter in the Scarlet Witch's history. Uh, yeah, that's Scarlet Witch and a town gone, uh, town gone mad. That could be really bad for a lot of people involved, so we'll see. I'm very excited to pick this up. Next up, we have X-Men Red number 10. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Stefano Caselli. Um... Again, I don't know if this is the last issue or not. Um, I haven't. I don't read the previews, so I don't really know until I check the the list out every single week. But this feels like the end of the book. I don't know where they go after this. Uh, we'll just have to see. But I'm excited to pick this up. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. It's all led up to this. In the blazing ruins of the Autumn Palace, Storm battles for the soul of Arako. Meanwhile, Abigail Brand and Roberto da Why did I say that so weird? And Roberto da Costa play their last cards, and a sinister hand deals the Ace of Spades. You won't believe where the Brotherhood goes from here. So we do know that there is a Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants book, but I don't know if that's going to replace this or not. So I cannot wait to see what the final act of this looks like. This is a must-pick-up for sure. Next up, we have Dark Knights of Steel number 9. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Yasmin Putri. It's been a little bit, it feels like, since we got Dark Knights of Steel number 8. Or am I, am I wrong? I don't know. Either way, I've really enjoyed this book. It's been a ton of fun to go through. Um, but the the long pauses between issues definitely has been hurting my enjoyment of it. However, that being said, I love the world that it takes place in. I love the characters. Very excited to see how this shapes up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. War. The best-selling series continues. The opening battle for the Three Kingdoms takes a deadly and dramatic turn as heroes return, enemies are revealed, and dark secrets spill out like blood on the battlefield. Yeah, this is issue 9 of 12, so we are about to hit the home stretch. Uh, the opening volley of the big old war is going to be uh, one to remember, I'm sure. Next up, we have Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number eight. I just, you heard me gushing about this book. Uh, it's written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Carmen Carnero. Uh, this book rules. This book rules, and we're getting something very special. So let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis. When Captain America's allies find themselves scattered across the country with no recollection of how they got there, Steve calls in a favor with the one person he knows can help, mutant telepath, Emma Frost. But what Emma finds chills Steve Rogers to the bone. As Steve and his allies race to save a city under siege by AIM, the Outer Circle's ultimate assassin is revealed. Introducing MODOK, the mental organism designed only for control. So that's MODOK with a C, and I really adore Cap and 
Emma together. I don't know what it is about whenever they get to interact, but it's always really fun, especially after the interaction they had at the Hellfire Gala. Uh, I'm excited to continue on this story, and I can't wait to find out just what Emma finds in Steve's noggin. Next up, we have Batman number 131. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Miguel Mendoncha. Uh, and I don't know what this is going to be about because last issue was uh, a doozy. So let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The Batman of Gotham, part one, slash the Toy Box, part one. Gotham City has never been darker or deadlier. And after failsafe, there is no Batman to save it. Can the fractured ghost that roams the streets survive? Whatever happened to the man known as Bruce Wayne? So this is going to be very interesting. I am curious to see what they do with this. uh, But we are getting a Robin Tim Drake backup, which you know I'm excited about. So I can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have another brand new number one. This is Shang-Chi, Master of the Ten Rings, number one. You know my feelings on the rebrandings and the number ones. But I'm very excited because we've got art by Michael YG, who just recently came off of the Iron Fist book with Alyssa Wong. And that book freaking ruled. So I'm expecting this book to freaking rule. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Fathers and Sons. Father and Son, side by side. Shang-Chi is lost in time and the only one who can help him is his father. What will Shang-Chi do when he meets the younger version of his evil parent? Will he be able to change the course of history, or will Shang-Chi be shocked to discover he didn't know his father as well as he thought? Find out as Jean Lun Yang's Shang-Chi saga comes to its shocking conclusion. So yeah, this is going to be interesting. I am curious to see what they do here. Uh, Shang-Chi has been wonderful throughout the Jean Lun Yang era, so I'm very sad to see it go. But we just got to enjoy the ride while it's here. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is Gotham City Year One, number four. This is written by Tom Taylor, with art, of course, by Phil Hester. This book has been an absolute delight. Uh, As I mentioned earlier in this episode with Human Target, Tom King has a talent for detective noir stories, and this book has been phenomenal. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Chapter four. The new crime noir classic rolls on. Slam Bradley's search for the Wayne heiress takes a tragic, deadly turn, and the simmering pot that is Gotham City is about to boil over. As the world falls apart around him, Slam must decide between justice and revenge, a choice that will echo down the generations and redefine both Gotham and Batman. So yeah, I am very curious to see what happens here. Can't wait to pick this up. But that does it for the first comics countdown of the new year. To recap, we've got Fantastic Four number three, Spider-Man number four, Scarlet Witch number one, X-Men Red number 10, Dark Knights of Steel number nine of 12, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty number eight, Batman number 131, Shang-Chi, Master of the Ten Rings number one, and Gotham City year one number Four. This is a wonderful way to kick off the new year, so make sure you spend it reading some great comics. 
And that is going to bring us to the wrap up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. I will be forced to read every single word. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be part of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Josh Pales to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A Lock and AZ, Sass, and Jedi Jesse 20. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of the Geeksplain mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com and put Geeksplain mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. Like our good brother, the real deal himself, Brian Real, who wrote in, he, I, I have to preface this. Uh, he did write this, I believe, back in uh, late December, but because of the way I was scheduling things, I am not able to read it now. So, Brian, I do apologize for reading it late, but I'm reading it now. So, uh, he begins his letter writing, Hi, Eric. Happy in December to you and yours. My question this week is sadly not India-related, but I thought you would enjoy nonetheless. I wanted to ask you to pitch your own The Batman 2 oof, box set, okay, consisting of three Batman stories you would like to see represent the potential inspiration for the second second film whenever they may be given whenever that may be given everything going on with dc movies right now ain't that the truth if you and the listeners remember the first box set for the batman consisted of year one batman ego and the long halloween what would you want to see as the inspired source material for the next film my own box set for a sequel would consist of batman prey batman gothic and dark victory I think those three hit on what I would hope to see in the next movie, with Prey offering that introspective aspect as seen in Ego, while introducing the main villain for the film, Hugo Strange, as well as developing his relationship further with Gordon. Gothic and Dark Victory provide the next great detective story for him to focus on that runs through the city, with cops and mobsters being taken out left and right by a vicious killer, while also introducing what I think Battenson needs most, a Robin. I could personally see him being introduced and adopted by Bruce early on in the film, and the tension between them that culminates in the pair teaming up and working to solve the murder of Dick's parents. As you can tell, it's a pretty rough pitch, but I think those stories offer up some pretty solid framework for a good movie. What are yours? I would honestly love for you to do a Pitch It episode at some point in the future for the Batman 2 with whatever stories you come up with, so no hard feelings if you want to save your answer for that. Thanks as always for making a great show. I love in December and all the fun guests you're having on. Have a safe and happy holiday and a happy new year. Best. Brian. Brian, thank you so much. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Um, this one is interesting because I have had an idea in my head for a The Batman 2 for a while, but I didn't think about doing a Pitch It episode. If you're interested in me doing a Pitch It for The Batman 2, let me know and I'll put that I'll I'll put that on the schedule cuz I mean, I loved doing the Batman Beyond pitch and we might have another pitch coming up here real soon. So keep your eyes out for that. Uh but I really uh I've I loved obviously you heard me talk about the Batman earlier. So I loved that film. I think the 3 that I would put in the box set 
would be Dark Victory, like you said, because I do believe he needs a Robin. I would put in Batman Night of the Monster Men. Uh, this is a book that not a lot of people know about, and they should, because Matt Wagner is a genius. Um, it's a fantastic book, and selfishly, I would want it to be included in the box set just because it is incredibly hard to find a hard copy of this book. Uh, and I need it. I need it, because I love this story. It's incredible. Uh, and the third one would be Batman Noel. Um, why Batman Noel? Uh, because it takes place at Christmas time and it has about, it, it would have about as much to do with my, uh, my Batman two pitch as long Halloween did for the Batman, which is nothing besides it's beside it just being a detective story. Um, Batman Noel would be taking place at a, uh, at Christmas time. So my Batman two would be taking place at Christmas. So maybe that gets the gears working on what it might be. I'll hold off on like an official pitch until, uh, if you guys are guys and gals and, uh, non-binary pals are interested in that pitch it, uh, let me know. And I will, uh, I'll try and work it into the schedule for this year. But thank you so much, Brian, for uh, writing in and uh, continue to write in. If you would like me to answer your emails, if you have comments, questions, concerns for me, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter for as long as Twitter is around, at Pod. that's at P-O-D. Finally, every single Friday is the Geeksplain Book Club, where I, alongside my amazing friends, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Brian Michael Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man. We are rounding the last bend into the final stretch of this series. We've only got three more sessions of Ultimate Spider-Man. This is wild. This time last year, we had just started uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Literally, on this day, last year, you can go back. And we started our journey with Ultimate Spider-Man. And in two weeks' time, we will end our journey with Ultimate Spider-Man. It's wild. This week, we are going to be tackling Volume 3 of just Spider-Man, Spider-Man Miles Morales, uh, continuing Miles' journey in the 616. Hopefully, a more enjoyable time than last week's. We uh, we kind of went in on the, on the reading material for last week, but... Um, really excited. It's always a good time to get together with Jacob and Malcolm. So if you uh, are so inclined, join us on Friday. Spidey Fridays are a real thing. So be there or be square, not a circle. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Let me know what you thought of the best of 2021, the year in review... 2021 jesus uh the best of 2022 the year in review for the past year let me know what your favorites of each of the four categories were feel free to send me that i would love to hear from you next week is going to be a pretty special one a little bit more off the beaten path than i'm used to doing on this podcast but i'm really excited to do it because it's going to be the first session of the blackpool comic club as i'm joined by my fellow members matt draper and owen 
both of their respective YouTube channels to review Wrestle Kingdom 17. It has nothing to do with comic books, but I'm very excited to record with them. Should be a really fun time. So tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.